Hi, I'm Lisa Lloyd, and I'd like to welcome you to the second series in my podcast, Beyond the Water Cooler. In series one, we explored what we mean by employee experience, and so now we are ready to unpick the how to achieving that. As a psychologist, psychotherapist, and business owner of It's Time for Change, I meet so many talented individuals who are aligned with my mantra, get people right, get business right. I'm going to be talking to some of these super interesting people who have stories, insights, and strategies to share about what it takes to be a great company, with inspiring leadership, an awesome culture, and a wow workforce. So let's dive in. I am absolutely delighted to be joined by Dan Sudegren, TEDx talker, keynote speaker, ex-marketing agency owner, digital trainer, serial tech startup founder, and now media spokesperson. That's some profile, Dan. <laughs> it's, it's really interesting. I, I did a talk yesterday uh, for the internal uh, called, the Institute of Internal Communicators, and I did some work for Beamer the other week. And uh, it's interesting how people do my intro. So Beamer, because we were late and because of other things, literally just didn't do an intro. So like people halfway through the day were like, why are you hosting this? And I was like, oh, because I didn't do an intro. Oh, heck. And then, and then because I was a little bit hypersensitive about that, um, because literally people were like, and Beamer, because I've done lots of, quite a lot of work with Beamer, and people were like, oh, you know Dan. And I was like, well, not, obviously people don't just know me. That's ridiculous. Fair enough, I was Harrison Ford or something, but you know, like a famous, <laughs> but not even slightly. So, so, so and then the, the other way around, of course, was then, this lovely lady, uh, Jenny, for the CEO of that organization, uh, the Institute of Internal Communicators, she did the opposite. She just read this huge thing, which is brilliant, but it was like really, really long. Yeah. And it was like something that my mum might have said, like, you know, you didn't tell us. She said, blah, 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 blah. It's literally about five minutes. And I came and I was just embarrassed. I was just like, oh, that's really sweet, but I didn't need off that. So, yeah, it's very kind of you. I, I'm very old. So, that's the reason why I could do so much stuff. I've just had well, longer. You're, you're an interesting person. And that's why I have never. Uh, in all the shows I've done so far, kind of taken what people have listed um, on there. I mean, I got that from uh, obviously from your LinkedIn profile, but actually I just think it's so rich in terms of your experience and what it is you do um, and that you're used to talking lots um, and you love talking. And I think Phil, your your experience means you've got a lot to bring to today. So I thought actually it was really, really relevant. Um, Thank you. And just quite amusing because it was just like a really long mouthful I had to try and get out. Um, so some of your main areas of interest are future work, yep. remote work and using data, which I'm all uh, I'm fans of all of those. And they seem very apt for this podcast. Um, so thank you for allowing me to twist your arm to join me today. Um, you are also co-founder of Your Flock, which we're going to hear about a little bit later, which is a team engagement platform based on values um which is also very awesome so welcome to the show dan thank you very much for having me it's it's very kind and thank you say for that wonderfully warm and very long intro of my uh, life uh, that was uh, fascinating to look at all of it yeah i've done quite a bit yeah you have so i'm actually really looking forward to unpicking some of the challenges about what's going on in the world of work today uh which i know you've got lots of opinions on <laughs> um, and I love the fact that you do have opinions on this stuff. You're not trying to play it safe. So I think today will be quite an interesting conversation. And I think actually from what I know of you and uh, how passionate you are about all this, I think it's going to be a really interesting conversation because you are very driven to making a difference in this whole world of work for people who, who are currently employed and um, or potentially looking for employment, I guess. Yeah. So. Let's start by hearing a little bit more about your story, which does not conform to any norms. And I guess it's not necessarily the route that you planned when you're at school. So without going right back to school days, because we haven't got long enough, um, okay. tell us a little bit about your story in terms of um, how you've become who you are today and what, what you're doing today. Well, it, it all started in 1976 uh, when, uh, when I was born. I won't go that far. You just said I can't even go back to the school days. So I'm not going to go back to my, my, uh, my pre-being born stage. Um, so, yes, yeah, so the, the, the old Iranian version. Well, it started when the, when the earth was born. And uh, this is how I'm not going to do that far. Um, yeah, so, so, so it's what's on to your question. So um, in, 
I've been very lucky because of different things I've done. I've always run my own businesses. I've always had my own stuff that I've been doing from the age of about 12 or so. I've always been quite uh, driven um, to, to do that kind of thing. And a lot of that stuff has been trying to make the world a better place. Uh, we had something called THCC, which is the hemp trading company, which I started at uni. Um, it was Hempology and then became the hemp trading company. The reason why I talk about that is because that was doing hemp and ecological stuff like 25 years ago. So CBD oils, all those kind of things, about 36 different products out of hemp. We're trying to change the world. We're trying to make the world a better place, stop climate change and all that. As you might have noticed, we did not do very well um, mm. on that global thing because the world is doomed and we're in deep trouble. Um, the, the TikTok doomsday thing is getting very, very close to the bit where it's unstoppable. But but we did we gave it a go for 10 years or maybe a, a bit less. Um, because we started off with very little money, I had to do something called guerrilla marketing. So taught myself how to do marketing. I actually did law and sociology at, at, at uni and then did this hemp company. And because I did the marketing pretty well with very little money, that became a marketing company called Spearfish, which was an events marketing company. Uh, which I then sold and went to Mexico, but that's a different story, which I'm not going to tell you now. So, uh, which is very cool and funky, but I came back with no money, which is unfortunate. My always advice is don't sign a contract in Spanish unless you speak Spanish, which is one of my favorite <laughs> things in my talks, which I do, and everyone always laughs. It's not funny. I lost all my money. It's not funny. It's no gusto balar, which I think is I love to dance. But anyway, um, that's a different point. So, so yeah, so, so because I came back for a little bit, an old business mentor of mine said, why don't you instead just talk to people about what you did with Spearfish, how you made the company? And I did that. I got paid 50 quid and I could pay for my rent. And that then spiraled into its own kind of me talking around the world and training companies in marketing and doing all sorts of corporate gigs, et cetera. Right. So I did all that stuff, but I also was helping people start their own businesses. And then the government picked me up and I was doing stuff, helping people with the universities and all sorts, because my whole point was, how do you make people happier? Well, one way you could do it is self-actualization, which is a rep, which you'll know is stolen well, I'm about to say Maslow's, but it's not because he stole it from someone else. But that's a different point entirely again. Anyway, my kind of thought was if I helped people control their own destinies, make their own money, that might make them happier. Yeah. So that's what I did for a bit. Now, that was OK, but it was fundamentally wrong because that's actually not necessarily how you make or help people become happier. But you help them start businesses. But again, we're going to we'll sideline that bit. Because I did that, I got to meet lots of different tech entrepreneurs. And so because I had a little bit of spare cash, I could invest in some. And one of the ones was your flock. Yeah. And your flock was something, a team dynamics platform that I'd actually tried to build seven years beforehand. Yeah. And because I had the joy of becoming or being called a tech futurist, a tech futurist is just some, simply someone who does stuff too early and doesn't make loads of money. Yeah. Because if you weren't a tech futurist, you would be a millionaire or a billionaire. You know, this is the thing you'd be. You'd be sitting on a you know you'd be sitting on a beach. You wouldn't be sitting there talking to the BBC. Uh, you know, on the breakfast sofa, you'd be you'd you'd, you'd own yachts and things. Anyway. So because I got known as a tech futurist, because I had things like I had an augmented reality company 12 years ago and all these other things. Right. So I'd seen on the horizon that something like your flock, which is called Macaulay at the time, something like this was going to be needed. Whether obviously I couldn't predict that COVID and all this other stuff would happen and accelerate the whole process. But it was quite obvious where the world was going. It was. And I actually met Michal, my co-founder, at Bizon, um, if I was doing a talk for Fiverr about the gig economy. Mm. And so I was talking about this is like seven or eight years ago, yeah, and it's stuff of Madman's dreams. Yeah, and so I was just doing this, and so I met Michael, and he's like, I've got this thing, and I, it's not a, it wasn't um, a SaaS product, uh, which I know you've had a play around with, which is cool, so thanks for that. And it wasn't that digital product, it was just the thinking behind it, the consultancy around it. And because I was teaching corporates how to do digital transformation, I was like, well, I'll give you some money, and we'll digitally transform this as well, and maybe, maybe if we're lucky, we can build something from it. It's a very complicated subject, but maybe because the advancing technology, it's possible. Yeah. Three years later or three or four years later with some machine learning and some amazing help from like 12 learning development specialists and business psychologists and all sorts of folk. We built your flock as it's now known and it, and it now helps hold teams together and uses values, as you say, to, to, to make people be happy, well, potentially be happier at work, definitely be happier in their teams and make their bosses happy because they don't leave the company. Mm. Um, and so that's that. And we use data and we use loads of weird and wonderful things. So, yeah, so, so my story has really been like an entrepreneurial route through the world trying to help people and then i kind of realized that one of the ways that we can really help people more is helping them be happier at work because work takes up such a huge part of your life and if you're not running your own business and i realized you know i'm sure because i wrote a book about it and some other stuff and video and things i'm sure you helped about I don't know, ten thousand people start their own businesses which is cool and funky but it's ten thousand and what i want to do is help a million mm. well if you have a million you can help a million people be happier at work because people are more likely to be employed and unhappy at work than they are going to be unhappy running their own business. Because actually most people, even though it's hard to do, 
love running their own businesses, even if they're poor, because it's their own business. Mastery, autonomy, purpose, all this funky stuff that we all know and love. Um, you know, you know more about than I do. Uh, but that's the reason why that's a really powerful driver. And that's why people tend to be happy. Don't get me wrong. It doesn't mean they're not stressed. It doesn't mean they're not burnt out. It doesn't mean any of those things. But it does tend to mean that they are more content because they control their own destiny. And um, I think that's a really important distinction, actually, Dan, in terms of happy does not mean that we are all walking around doing our day job, smiling and high-fiving each other and feeling very chilled. Um, it is about feeling content and feeling I'm, I've got a really clear sense of purpose that I, motivates me and I know I'm making a difference, I'm recognised and all your kind of basic emotional needs being met. And I think that, that simple distinction is so important for some people to make because they think all this happiness business, uh, and I know some people who's, whose job is, I'm a happiness person. You know, that's my company. It's all about happiness. Yeah. And you can literally see some people like, wow, they get it. And then some people like rolling their eyes thinking, what is all this about? Can we not just put all that stuff aside and just get down to business? And then not getting the link between people being happy I mean they do their business a whole lot better. Yeah. Well, you know, this is the thing that I think, you know, five years ago, we would have just like I was with the hemp thing and some other things, I was called crazy because it was before mm. its time. Now, the nice thing uh, the last couple of years, the only real positive to take out of it is when the social change has happened, this revolution has happened. And people have realised that actually happiness is a hugely important thing. Mm. Now, I'm a massive hippie, so I, you know, and I've had my own businesses, so it makes me happy. And I took time off to look after my daughter because it made me happy. And I did stuff that made me happy. And I was quite successful in being happy and making money. And so for me, it was obvious that, that's what you do. How about talk to my dad? And he'd say, shut your face, get down the mine. You know, because then to him, it's like, you know, by the way, that isn't true. My dad's a vicar, so that's not true at all. Just made it up. Sorry, David, just made that up completely. Uh, if you're if listening, uh, ex-vicar now, that's not the point. Um, but, you know, but you talk to other people uh, and they would say, actually, the reason why you're paid for your job is because you don't like it. If you liked it, you wouldn't be paid and it'd be a hobby. Yeah, and that's what we used to think. We used to believe the Victorian ways of looking at it, but that's what we used to think. You know, if you don't like your job, good, because you shouldn't do. Now that's it's underneath that and that's why I did mention my dad there is a religious undertone to all that which is actually quite weird and a bit weird but there's also the same thing to capitalism about saving and all sorts of stuff you can look into Weber's sociology religions and all things but this comes back to a very very central point a lot of people used to believe you shouldn't be happy at work and people still believe that you shouldn't be happy at work but the problem is if you run a business or if you want to look at the world of productivity post-covid mm. is that about 85% of people are not engaged at work. Mm. 85% of this is the, the, the Gallup stuff that comes out. Some mm. other things. loads of stats around this, but there's loads of reasons for it as well. But if you're not engaged at work, you're not productive. If you're engaged at work, you're five times more productive. And so all you're happening at the moment, what's happening at the moment is we have a lot, certainly in the UK, in fact, in Europe, we're some of the worst for it. And the UK, we must probably outline this for a whole host of reasons we're not going to talk about now. But like the weather and Tory politics, but these things. Anyway, the point being is, you know, we're not happy, yeah? But the problem being is that, that it affects the bottom line much more than bosses think. You know, mm -hmm. I just did a stat at the, um, the internal communicating things the other day, and I found out the stat from OK Engaged, which is a scary stat. 35% of bosses do not believe employment engagement, employment engagement is important. 35% don't think it's important. In fact, they think it distracts away from real work. Just imagine the, the weird way of thinking about the world if you believe that to be true. So what you're literally saying is, I don't want my people to be happy because that makes them distract them away from working for me harder. When actually happier people work harder. Yeah. And I, and I worked with um, uh, an NHS team earlier this week. And one of the questions I asked them, I had a huge piece of paper. It's like, right, what is it that you want from work? So really, really open question. And they spent a good half an hour really unpicking what it is that they wanted from work. And they had, I mean, we were running out of space. Um, what did they want? <laughs> they, I just had a lot. And then right at the end of the conversation, we were literally about to move on to the next thing. And one person said, oh, I guess we should put money down. <laughs> and that yeah. sense that no one, no one had thought, well, of course I'm just going to work to get paid. You know, you're, what you're talking about with your dad is the conversation... I have with my dad, which is why I stopped having these conversations with him about this stuff a long time ago, because he's like, people just be grateful they got a job and get on with it. Yeah, and, exactly. And, yeah. And small analysis. Yeah. Whereas these people are like, if I go to work and um, I'm, if I have a voice I'm listened to, and if I'm just noticed, and if I can, if I can feel like I'm making a difference rather than just banging my head against the wall and not getting anywhere, 
that's the stuff I want to feel every day. And the yeah. money comes after us. And some of the research shows that in terms of, you know, people leaving their jobs. It's not necessarily because of money, although that's becoming more of an issue now. People are being more transparent about pay. And that's kind of one of the big changes. But in the sense that people are not, the, the money's not the big motivator. No, 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 absolutely. And, and it's the happiness. Yes. Exactly. Well, okay. So there's two things really to unpack. Number one is there is a difference. We've got to be careful when we, I always think we've got to be careful when we use because I used to, I used to use very grandiose type. One in five people don't feel connected to work, which is true. Yeah, and they don't, and they, the, the, one of the feelings, and the feelings thing's really important. In fact, but the thing is, it goes one in five feel they don't belong at work. Yeah, but that's one in four if it's under 30s. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the difference is, it's the different in ages. Yeah. So something like 73% of people who are under 30 would leave their job to go to a better job, like a more ideal job that links to their values that pays them less. Yes. Now, but my guess is if you go up to about 50, and again, I'm not saying this is the case, I do not know, as I haven't got the data, but I imagine it changes as they get older. Yeah. And you could argue loads of different reasons. For this. Now, it's the same thing with job frequency, job happiness levels, all these different things are socioeconomic. They are socioeconomic things. So mm. the demo demographics and the psychographics of the people and what sector they work in all makes a play. So, you know, you can come up again, because I champion kind of remote work, so I've been doing it myself for 10 years. And I think that people who are trying to get us back into the fields, you know, get back to the offices, you workers, are the same people that try to get us back into the fields. Mm. Get back into the factories. Stop striking. Get back in the factories and make the shoes. Stop, mm. you know, get back in the fields and make the thing. Do the thing with the thing. It's the same people. It's always the same people. Landed gentry, always the same people. Factory, always the same people. People who own the newspapers, always the same people. Politicians, always the same people. Point being is, Dave, that the next generation might not listen to any of this fluff. Yeah, they might not. They might have to because it could the economic situation gets so bad that there's no jobs and there's no university basic income. But I think anyone with kind of be careful words, but the future will have to include university basic income. Now, if that's the case, then people won't work for the money. They'll work because they love it, which is why in my TED talk I talk about the future of work is not what you think. Because mm -hmm. isn't it? It's not going to be about crunching stuff and thinking. It's actually going to be about connecting and collaborating and teamwork, right? So if you use something like your flock with the values things that we do, we know that certain sectors have more values than others. Well, not more values, but be careful. So let's say, for example, one of the values is teamwork. Mm. Yeah. yeah, you might be really into teamwork or you might be like me. I'm really into autonomy. So autonomy is my one, caring, autonomy, uh, results driven. Yeah. So I've always been trying to make the world a better place, but I'm data driven while I'm doing it. So that's my values. Yeah? Now you look at someone like, I don't know, like a law firm, you'll find that lawyers highly autonomous. So for them, they don't need an office. They don't need the office space. In fact, that just gets in the way of their work. So they're more productive without an office space where everyone's interrupting them and doing stuff and they can work and they're happier. Mm -hmm. However, look at something like digital creatives and actually digital creatives, even though they're cool and young and funky and you'd all think, well, surely they'd all be working from home. They don't like working from home because their value is teamwork and collaboration. And because of that, they want to all be bumping into each other and doing cool stuff and going out and, you know, mm. having fun together and eating mm. together and doing all this other stuff. So if we kind of come in with kind of two blanket approach to this, the reality is we, we kind of we miss out on the nuances of everyone's experience. And I think this is what bosses are doing as well. They're just saying, I've decided that you're all going back to work for two days a week. But actually, each team's different. Yes. Yes. Because I can say it's not even... The, what sector you're in I think it's it's with it's what your particular team is within an organization and I think most most companies from what I've heard again I might not be right seem to be having a blanket approach you know you've got the people at the top saying this is what we can do for everyone and it doesn't work I was having conversations with people last week saying well I don't need to be in the office as much as a junior does because the junior is learning and they need the mentoring and they want to be just be observing they just want to be around and kind of soaking up all the stuff that you get when you're new to a job mm -hmm. whereas the leader was actually I don't need to be there I can just be at home and cracking on with the stuff rather than spending four hours a day traveling because well, that's not a good use of time but isn't, it, but isn't it the weirdest thing that the CEOs and the bosses have been doing remote work forever you know, and they're the people who don't do they don't, they don't go back into the office anyway. They've always been out. They've always been doing stuff and always been popping back in. Now mm -hmm. they are also the people who say get back into the office because I need you back in the office. But the thing is, and this is again, this one's proven completely by data. This is not a demographic thing. It is a demographic. But it's completely proven by the data. So so Bruce Daisy did some great work, and they they did this over in Australia. So it kind of proved as they were coming out of it before we did. It kind of proved the point. So there's a direct correlation, yeah, between how non-diverse your board is. Yeah, and how much you want people to get back into the office. 
the, and it's not even funny. It's just literally a line. It's just, mm. And there's a couple of outliners, but it's just a trend. Yeah. So the more traditional your approach, the more uh, without being read about, it, the more white male and ale and stale that, that your board is. Yeah. The more they want you to get back into the office and do the work. Yeah. Now this is this is this should be scary for everybody. The reason why I talk about diversity and inclusion so much is not just because it's the morally right thing to do and because it makes the world a better place and society better. And there is such a thing called society, by the way. Um, you know, remember when we were all in lockdown and we all thought society was a big thing, really important. And now we're like, oh, well, don't worry, let's all go back to what, you know, we've forgotten that society was the thing that kept us all alive, like the NHS, etc. We were all going outside clapping, weren't we? Can we not remember that? It was only two years yeah. ago. You know, the, the, the trait and now the people on strike oh well, they're terrible people oh my goodness they want a you know a cost of living increase which actually is less than inflation and therefore we should tell them off we were clapping for them they ran the trains it stopped the goods we wouldn't have any food anyway point though i suppose is that with, with the with this new world i'm just slight rant of course but with this new world that we're going to be stepping into where the employees perhaps have more power than perhaps the bosses are liking or wanting it's too late for a lot of old school bosses mm. and they don't know if they realize that diversity and inclusion is not just a nice to have it's now a must-have you know companies are better because they're more diverse you actually make more money and you're more productive and they're happier places to work in and it will be interesting to see in the next couple of years if if just by a process of bizarre natural selection these places of non-diversity start actually dying out because everyone leaves apart from the five guys who love each other who sit in the office together and play so that's Yeah, and that's an interesting point then because I know some of the companies when I'm talking with people who have been tasked with, you know, I need to make this company somewhere that uh, employees really enjoy being. You know, I need to look at the whole employee engagement agenda and so on, which has been tasked, you know, one person, which I always think is quite an interesting approach. Um, how that what they get stuck with is how to get the senior leaders who've been in their role for forever or certainly been in that kind of role forever whether it's in that organization or a different one who are very much of the generation where actually it is all about coming to work getting your job done being paid reasonably well if you were at that level um and actually it works for them because that's what they've always known and that's what they've come to get used to and of mm. course you've got a different generation of people who are demanding something else there's a real there's a real gap in the middle so yeah. so it's about how to change the mindset of some of those people who are just so resistant to it and whether they can change or whether actually it will be a case of as you say everyone leaves and you have just that board of people sitting on their own well I mean, this is the thing about the great resignation isn't it the great resignation then the great reset whatever the, the great r's we can come up with i think the next one's now reshuffle as they've realized that reset and resignation doesn't really bode well for the f- future of capitalism and their bosses but oh no it's called a reshuffle oh is it is it is that what you're calling it now okay it's a booming it's a booming market okay well explain to me how i found this out yesterday um how many recruiters are leaving in recruitment have a look at the massive gap there is there and by the way that's a bellwether for the future just so you everyone realizes this Oh, it's amazing how many jobs are advertised. Yeah, because they're mainly part time and most of them are non-contract. But yeah, but no one's no one. You know, everyone's got jobs. Yeah, they've got jobs for three hours, so they're no longer on dole. I mean, fair enough. Well done. You know, it it happens to be bullshit. Just so yes. you know. and that's um, and that's the data bit that's so important that you and I talk about. You've got to know the data, and you can't yeah, just what's in the media. No, it's like we've got to know your source, but also you've got to know your data. You've got to know your source, and then you've got to verify the source, and then you've got to look at all the other data points around it to make sure there's a. There's a narrative and a language because otherwise it's somebody else's priorities, as, as Jeff mm-hmm. Keown rightly says. You know, if you don't prioritize your life, then someone else will. And that's what's happening at the moment. People's lives are being prioritized by other forces, which of course they have done for many years. But of course, as soon as you come out of, and again, we talked about this from a, yesterday, we talked about the pandemic because it creates uncertainty. And uncertainty is the worst human emotion you can have. It, mm-hmm. as you know, correlates with, with mm-hmm. fear in the brain and neuroscience and all sorts of stuff. It's a lot deeper than people think. So we've had this hugely traumatic experience, and then we've come out of it, and then we're looking to our leaders. but. 42% of us don't believe that we've had any leadership at this moment during the COVID crisis. But that's not just bosses, that's the government and then the newspapers. So if you can imagine how scary it must be for some people, and all they're looking for is something that's known, not the unknown, no more uncertainty, no one wants it anymore, which is why we're trying to brush COVID under the carpet, which is saying, no, everything goes back to normal. But it doesn't because revolutions happen. And this is the thing, this is a really interesting thing, Lisa, is it, the revolutions usually happen and they happen in a way that people, is, it's very obvious and people's heads roll and there's blood in the street and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Now you could argue economically that's what we're going to go through next, but people just don't like to talk about it. But that's the reality. Yeah. 
So if you leave your job because you are unhappy and then you find a different place to work in and you are happier because they're nicer to you, awesome, fair play you. Now, you most probably should have done that a year and a half ago. Yeah, because in, a, in about six months' time, you're not going to have the chance to. So if you're on the call and you're on me now, should I leave a company which is horrid? Yeah, leave now. Mm. Because in six months, you might not be able to. That, that's the reality. But yeah. Mm. Now, you've also got this thing where people are paying people more and more money. Now, that's not sustainable. Like lawyers are now being paid 15% more because people have seen other things. And right, say, by the way, because of, the, because of inflation costs going up. So you should get paid more. In fact, if you're not getting at least a 9% pay increase, you're actually getting a decrease. But this is the other irony of all life. Anyway, so you would normally think that the levers you can pull is more money. Yeah. Make people happy at work. Give them more money. Problem is, we all know at a point, no more. You can give them. It's just you can give them more money, but it won't make any difference. They won't be happier. You'll just give them more money. Get them more money. Give them. And we went past that point quite a while ago in most professions, which is why people leave. It's why tech people leave, you know, tech developers leave because they get paid £80,000 a year. They don't go somewhere else to get £88,000 a year. They go somewhere now to get £72,000 a year and have a, and work from home. Exactly. Nice. 93% of people want flexibility and when they work. 73% want, want to be about where they work. Yeah, so that flexibility is cool. Now, what do you do if your boss doesn't listen to any of that? It doesn't make any difference because the economics will destroy the company because at some point, they're going to be paying recruiters more and more money. At some point, they're going to be paying wages more and higher. Then they're going to have a bit where, oh, shit, we're going to have to have less people in jobs. So they're going to have to push them harder. They're going to get burnout and leave. But that at some point will just the, the company will be destroyed. Mm -hmm. Now, we talked about um, different generations, and I'm here to defend the older generation, not just because I'm part of it, but it's it literally it's a mindset. It's not how old you are. Right? So I did a we did a um, with the Beamer, which is the uh, British Interactive Media Association. So it's all the massive marketing companies, like huge ones like you know, WPP and Martin mm -hmm. Sorrell. So, so Martin Sorrell, so he was there. So I you know, introduced him in and he's. You know, the company's worth insane amounts of money. Martin Sorrow, Sir Martin Sorrow. I was got to say Sir, of course. Sir Martin Sorrow. Right, so, right. So, so I was presuming he'd be a kind of, you know, old school, not stick in the mud, because obviously of all the stuff he's done, which is amazing. If you don't know anything about WPP or S4, just have a look. They're worth billion, billion, billion. It's a huge company. Um, anyway, so he, he stood there and very, very kind of, very kind of non plus like not even like it was a thing. He was like, oh, well, yeah, well, 60% of our, we're, we're going to have to get rid of about 60% of our real estate and our offices, because that was the past, and the future won't be about that. And I was like, yeah. oh, what? You know, literally, you just said it like it's covered like four billion, you know, like they own and it's, they employ 7,000, 8,000 people across the globe. He's just gone, yeah, most people aren't going to do that anymore. So we're just going to get rid of more than half of our office space. Okay. Now, if mm. he's saying it, he's this, this is an extremely rich man, extremely powerful man who doesn't need to say that. What he should say is, everyone get back in the office. It's costing me a fortune. And he was like, no, nah, it's just not the way it's going to be. What people want is flexibility. I have to give that as an employer and I employ loads of people. And we don't even employ loads of people in the UK anymore. We employ them in Latin America because they're better than the people in the UK. And I was just like, you can't say this to people in the, the crowd's going <laughs> to, this is, this is all true, Martin, but this is a bit much. <laughs> but I think it's, I think it's true. You know what? I'm very aware on my um, podcast that I try to get, uh, I'm trying to make sure that we're representing um you know, different generations and different people with different roles within a company. So you haven't just got the people sitting in a boardroom, but actually some of the most inspiring guests I've had so far who are really on the board, like they're leading the way the workplaces work and how people engage and how we think about the future of work are people like David McLeod, Stuart Nielsen, Jim Liptrot. I mean, they're all people who are of an older generation, older than you and I, I should say. Um, and I'm very um, old. But they are they are so ahead of the game in terms of and they have been for a while. It's that sense of that this is it's not rocket science. This is how we should all be behaving. And so they are awesome role models, which is why they are brilliant in terms of helping communicate that message to their peer group, wherever that peer group is, just in terms of actually I can see the difference it makes and, and they can talk quite openly about the difference it makes. You know, it's not. Um, I'm not struggling to come up with the, the data to show that it makes a difference. It's really obvious that what I'm doing is working. Yeah, I mean, you know, literally they, but that, uh, that talk which had Google, Diageo, all these massive companies, all they talked about was the power of culture. Mm. All they were talking about was the power of people. And if you want to be innovative and you want to have these companies, you have to hard bake it into the culture, which is picking the right people. It's really funny for me because half of it was an advert for your flock because I was talking, you know, making sure you got the values right and making sure everyone knows each other's values and you're all doing this thing together. And I was like, 
can't mention your flock, but it's what your flock does. It's what my company does. It's a bit in tech, does it with data. I'm so clever. I'm so clever. It wasn't my Michael Vishnesi came up with it. I just co-founded. Um, so yeah, so, so, so it's very exciting that this change is happening, not only on a senior level, but also on a, you know, people who are younger innately know it. It's a little bit like, yeah. it's exactly the same as when I was young and we were talking about mobile being the next big thing or yeah. natives and social media being quite important. And you had people at the top going, no, 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 I don't think so. I read a newspaper. I don't think anyone's going to be doing this television mm -hmm. stuff. I mean, or no one's going to have a mobile phone that can go on the internet. That'd be insane. Why would they do that? <laughs> a waste of their time. Uh, Instagram's quite big. Instagram, you say? No, I'm not sure that will be very good. You know, so, so, what is so what is then the advice then for like thinking ahead? So, for future work and how we how we support leaders to think about this differently. How because part of that is actually them knowing what their particular workforce wants and what's getting you know what helps them feel good about coming to work and help them be able to do their job well um help them feel that they're successful and what's getting in the way and so getting that feedback so for high for me when people talk about high performing teams a lot of it comes down to the ability to listen well the ability to get that feedback and actually invite the feedback hear it properly and act on it yeah. For you, how does that fit in with kind of what your thoughts are around sort of what what high performing teams are about in, in the future? Well, I'm, you know, to, to, to reiterate too much, exactly what you said, but that's what it is, isn't it? You know, Google mm. knows this. The reason why your flock's based on stuff from Stanford and then finished off at Manchester Union, you know, is, is <laughs> it's based on all this good stuff is because that's the future of work. Future of work is is way beyond what we think at the moment in the way of feedback from employees. Yeah, the future of work will literally be that you weekly, you know, do something with technology or even daily do something with pulse surveys and all these other things, because that data is there. And I don't get me wrong. You could, if you're a massive company, usually you could do something like Glint or these other ones. There's lots of these things out there. Yeah. And they're not necessarily as nuanced as your flock because we do it based on values, but it at least give you the data points that you start and start to need. Now, if you've got loads of people in your company, and I would say, even if you don't have loads, but you are hybrid or you are remote, and my favourite term on this is remote forced rather than remote first, because a lot of people are like 90% of people were. We were very lucky because we were remote. We were always going to be remote from day one. It's in our DNA. Loads of other people aren't. Of course they're not. You know? Now, if you're not, that data feedback loop is hugely important and listening to your employees. And it cannot be, sadly, just like on one-to-ones like we're doing now. It's just not mm. possible to scale it. Yeah. And so you use technology. It's the same thing with, I don't know, I've got 100 shirts that I need to wash. Well, if you're going down to the river and washing them by hand, that's awesome. I get it. But I just, there's a washing machine you can use. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not, not saying that the washing machine will do it as well as the river wash. I don't know. I've never washed my shirt in the river. But, but let's say, you, know, you might be old, you know, like, well, the mangle is the most important thing you'd wait for. You use a mangle. It's the best. It's much better than a do it. Fine. But that, those days are gone. Mm. But it doesn't mean don't wash your shirts because that's a bad business. You know, like that would be bad. You'd be smelly. I'd terrible shirts. You know, so, same principle with, with, with your employees. You're going to have to listen and rightly so, but get their data points from them much more quickly and more of them than you've ever had before. You need to get more feedback than ever because the worst feedback you're going to get is they leave. Yeah. And they won't type, by the way, and everyone says, oh, we could do it in exit interviews. It's a bit late then, isn't it? Mm. Left. Now, if you don't understand how much it costs you to lose your employees, that's a piece of analysis that you should know off by heart. You know? If we lose someone, if we lose a lawyer, it costs us £64,000 when we lose our, our partner. Right, cool. Take the £64,000, put it into technology and put it into people that can help make sure that you don't lose a lawyer. Mm. And that might be, heaven forfend, a person, an actual person. Their whole job, because it used to be office manager, their whole job is looking after our lawyers, mm. making sure we're all happy. And that might be, uh, they said this might be the weirdest thing, might be going around to their houses. Yeah, and you might, as a boss, be like, no one went round to my house and saw me when I was young. No, but that wasn't in a post-COVID world where it's important that you keep your employees who are mainly working from home. I couldn't agree more on that. I, I worked in a team many, many, many years ago, um, probably 20 years ago, where we were uh, we were engaging people in um, communities to, to, to join particular groups who were very reluctant to engage with professionals. And people couldn't work out why they're coming along to our group. And it's because we went along and met them all in their home. So we yeah. built rapport. And yeah. actually, then we got to know each other. So then they're quite happy turning up because they knew what we are going to be like. It's like, it doesn't take genius to work that one out. Just no. find <laughs> out what's, what drives someone, what they need, and meet them at that place. Because then you can bring them with you rather than sitting behind your desk and demanding that they show up. 
Absolutely. So they, yeah, this is what I've, I've done a bit of work with the NHS because I did a diabetes something with, with a tech company there. Different thing. But they, they are renowned for this kind of hard to reach community approach where they say it's hard to reach. Like, oh my goodness, how did you manage to do it, Dan? It's like because I went into the community and talked to people like a human being might do. And then we all met and they're like as friends. And then we talked about stuff and we came up with this. Now don't get me wrong. You can definitely argue that's not scalable because you can say, but we can't, but you, it is scalable because you use people to do it. Yes. You don't use technicians sitting behind desk, which is why I work in startup tech world. And we're renowned. That's why nine out of 10 of us fail in the businesses because we're renowned of building stuff people don't want. But if you're creating a company culture now without an office, you will have to find out how to do that properly mm. with values which align with each other. Because when an employee and an employer and their values align, they're five times more productive, mm. five times more productive. So when everyone gets together and everyone's friends and everyone, you know, you don't have to be friends in proper friends deeply, but it always helps. I mean, people, liking people is good call when you're working with them because you have to trust them. And you got to remember, companies aren't just these, they're not amalgamations of people that we squish together in. Well, they, they were, they weren't they? We literally employed people, squished them together in an office and said, right, get on, right, get on and crack on, do this work. Yeah. Well, now people aren't going to do that as much. We know they're not because you look at the stats and you can actually see outside they're not. People are not going to do this as much. Some people might love doing it. That's great, but that's not the point. So if you don't have an office space that creates this company culture for you, and of course, this is why people did things like had bean bags and they had like ping pong tables and free beer, completely missing that that bit of the, you know, the iceberg of Google success, this 90% of Google success had nothing to do with this stuff that you saw visually. And then everyone nicked the stuff that was visual saying, well, we can make a cool place by putting slogans, slogans on the wall and then everyone will believe our values. And then we'll all meet and have drinks. But that's that's not nothing to do with company culture. That was just successful companies did that at the end of everything else. Yeah. And so what you've got to do as a manager or as a boss or anybody, if you care about teams and stuff, utilize technologies like your thought, but other ones as well, to actually get to know people, get to know your team, what drives them, what motivates them, what their fears are. Heck, you can just do it by talking. It just you most probably couldn't scale it with talking and not have 10 people do it. Well, and I think that's really interesting, that whole um using using tech to get to know people because for me so my husband's in tech and um and I'm in people so we've always kind of this like polar opposites so I've probably because of that I always been slightly resistant to tech just because we always have this debate we've had this debate for years and years about the future of tech and actually everyone's gonna be sitting in their own little room never having social contact again just communicating via tech and, and I was like, oh, that, that, that makes me shiver. So, That's not um, tech. Also, you, you, said, you just said tech like this. You've gone, and therefore tech. You might yeah. have just gone, therefore the Terminator, therefore exactly. AI. Exactly. What? But now you look at the benefits, and it's our sense of, because I think, again, some people, some companies I know who used to, who are the people who will typically just grab at everything and anything to try and fill a hole. So they won't use it. A bit like the beanbags, they think that's the culture. They'll grab something thinking, this now ticks the box that we're now looking after our people. And so when people grab some type of tech in the sense that we can now, we've now got this, we've got tech happening over here. So we don't have to have the conversations anymore. We don't have to kind of have the human interaction anymore. That for me rings alarm bells. But when you get the balance right in that you are using tech to find out where the needs are, what the needs are, and then you can address those really, really well. And of course, the tech doesn't mean you stop talking to people. It doesn't mean you stop having those one-to-ones, which obviously you can't have one-to-ones with everybody, but you can, you don't have to have them as often because you still know you're still getting that feedback. So it's very much that balance, isn't it? Well, no, it isn't, but it's the, it's the start of the conversation, not the end of the conversation. So using technology to start a conversation around it all. For example, your flock, if someone hasn't done the bit and hasn't given you feedback for a bit, that will flag up and they'll mm -hmm. say, this person hasn't talked for a bit and, you know, so maybe have a chat with them. They can also then tick a box and say, I'd like to have a one-to-one -one this week around this thing, around my values. We also don't ask just blanket questions about, are you happy at work? Because, of course, that's no nuance and everyone says, oh, yes, I'm happy and then leave. Yeah, but that's not... So we're talking about values. So it's like... Give me an example how you've been caring in your organization this week. If we know one of their core values is caring, we ask that question. And if they say, oh, there hasn't been any, as the manager or the team leader or the boss, you should be going, oh, heck, 80% of our people are caring, but we haven't done anything caring at all for a month. Oh, what should we do? Now, don't get me wrong. If you are a very hands-on person and there's 10 people in the team, you will do this maybe naturally in an office space because you'd have chats with people and water coolers and you, that's a good boss good leadership servant leadership yes 
most people haven't been there, haven't done that. And now you haven't got the office. You can't. And you can't just phone people up and say, hey, I just want, well, you should. Hey, I just wanted to have a chat about you and your life and how happy you are. Awesome. That's just being a good boss. Mm. You know, um, uh, Dr. Blow, Richard Woods, John Pittman and other people. But, you know, during the pandemic and other times, they were all very great hands-on bosses. And they went around and saw people physically and met them and did things and did all this stuff. All the good stuff that people are doing, the IMD solicitors, for example, all the mentoring stuff that they're doing, all these the reason why they win all these awards. Your flock is just one part of what they do, but your flock gives them the data points so then they know that action should be done. And that's the key bit. It's not, mm-hmm. we're not looking at all to replace people because that's insane. It's like saying, you know, are, are we looking to replace accountants? No, we're just giving them a calculator. You know, we're giving them an Excel spreadsheet. It doesn't replace accountants. Excel, Excel does not. It just makes them maybe they'll do this thing quicker and then mm. do the human part of their job more mm. and we don't want people to do the data part of their job we want if this is the thing about the other the, quite a few of the other um offerings out there they'll give you a load of data yeah and then it's up to you to then interpret that data and act on it now i don't he's got the time that for that no, exactly so all you've got is another problem yeah. you know i've now got a thousand data points what do i do i know read through the thousand data points oh thanks it's a bit like you know if you use for your business you google analytics you know, it's yeah. great, except surely Google Analytics, it being Google, and there's a reason why they don't, but it should just go, these are the three things you need to do. And then leave you there, you know what I mean? It doesn't need yeah. to do, I'll drill down into my own data. Why? Just use Uber Suggest, by the way. It's a much better tool, and you can just, it does that automatically for you. Anyway, another point. So this is what technology needs to do. Now, what makes me smile when you talk about tech in a, in a negative way, and you have every right to, is that for a very long time in the media, but also in our own stories and, you know, Terminators and all these other things, we've, we've had this negative view of the future, dystopian view of the future, and around data. But actually, data in the human context, it just means that you're more humane. Because mm. that's what actually, the problem we've got at the moment is because human resources isn't humane enough. Mm. It doesn't have data points, it doesn't care, it's not empathetic, and it can't predict stuff. It's actually the other way around. Technology helps us become better humans because we have data to, be- otherwise it's just my opinion. I agree, but- and yeah, yeah, you don't know where to, you don't know where to, um focus you don't know where the needs are you don't you can't possibly get all the feedback you need from your teams if you don't have some way of collecting that or even just using the data they've already got you know the number of times people will be if I go and speak to a company about what they're doing and they'll say well we're doing this this and this and I was like well why are you doing that well because someone came and gave us a really good talk on it not because it was based on a particular need okay what difference is it making Oh, we don't know. We've got these. We've got these people employed here, and they're they're, they're ready and waiting. It's like they, they don't have the data, and therefore you use you're wasting these resources, and you're still probably missing the point. So I think data. I mean, I'm playing. It's like I was playing to like devil's advocate in terms of saying, you know, I'm I'm a real data fan in terms of you've got to know the impact, you've got to know where the need is, and you've got to do it in a way that is really um, simple to access. So I know with your flock, actually, the data you get is takes like a couple of minutes to read and it tells you what you need to go and do and then you can just tool off and do it yeah. and it makes a difference rather yeah, yeah. than having to spend ages getting the feedback or working out what I now need to go and do as a leader um, and I think yeah. that simplifies it hugely. That, that's, that's, that is exactly why we built it. We also built it because of uh, my own kind of because uh, I knew that I wasn't a very good leader in that respect. I knew that you know, when I had a team of people I'd be like right let's crack on because I'm very driven and I'm very you know insights i'd be a red and myers briggs i'm an entp which just basically means i'm a clap um you know so, so all these things happen but actually i need a bit of help sometimes say okay who do i need to talk to about this because i wouldn't naturally do it i wouldn't naturally go oh heck i haven't i haven't talked to josh for a while about the fact that he's really results driven and actually if i gave him a few more of the excel spreadsheet points he'd be excited and therefore do more work on the next feature because he's results driven and he's you know customer focused but by knowing that about josh knowing about about different people I can then look at how I'm not managing them because managing is the wrong word, but how you're leading them. And often <clears throat> with leadership, you can get kind of obsessed with we're leading, I'm leading the company and we need to make more money and all these other things. But you only do that by the people being happier and more productive. It's that way round. But then I would say that because this is what we do as a job. However, it's also what why I put money into your flock. So, you know, I was a customer of your flock before I actually invested money. And in fact, uh, a very close friend of mine used it for their business and it made a massive difference. And it saved them like literally from making a terrible mistake, which they were going to make because of confirmation bias and loads of other recruitment things that were going to make this massive, this massive thing. 
your flock, because at the time it was working in recruitment as well, it just flagged this issue and said, we don't have the same values. Mm. We have the same values and the rest of the team have this value and that person doesn't. It's good that you have differences. So it's not like Belbin. With Belbin, it's about team roles and you have to have different people in different team roles. Yes. And with insights, you say you want to have different colours. Yes. But with values, you don't necessarily want it to be that different because values is underneath it. Yeah. So if you, you know, if you value, if all your team values teamwork and then one person doesn't at all, it's it can create a problem. But also if all your partners are a certain way, then certainly for a law firm, you'll that partner will leave and that costs you £64,000. Yeah. And so you look at lawyers, lawyers have uh, in that sector have a tremendously high uh, employee churn rate, tremendously high employee churn rate, and it's costing them billions of pounds. Yeah. And what we've got to realize in this next bit of life is we, we won't have that billions of pounds because the economy is going to squish the billions of pounds out. So you're not going to have that natural just go, oh, well, it's just the way it is in, in, our, in our life. Churn rate's always high because the churn rate will destroy your company. And I think it's really interesting, you know, the point you made about character differences. If you're not someone who naturally finds it easy to remember to go and talk to different people or to follow up on things, and I have to say, there are lots of people in leadership management positions now who <laughs> fall into that category and we have lots of conversations about how they could perhaps do it differently or actually someone else is able to fill that role because they feel very uncomfortable doing it um but just knowing that it's just because you might not be very good at it or feel very comfortable doing it or remember to do it or have the time to do it doesn't mean it can't happen you've got to find a way to still have those interactions yeah, so mean, actually so yeah I, I completely get that this I, I, I go back to the original thing with you know we talked about excel i'll, I'll go back only because it's i'm exactly i'm terrible with maths and stuff yeah but i don't need to be terrible with them because i've got excel mm. so I, I don't say oh my goodness i can't do long division because i've got excel and if i was to say to myself oh i'm not going to do maths then i've missed the meeting because i have to do maths in my job and work out the marketing conversion rates for different things that i do mm. yeah i just use excel and i just use google analytics some other things and it's just so the, the maths part of my job, I don't like, but I have technology that costs me nine ninety nine dollars a month. So it's now sorted. And you know, yeah. I'd most probably pay £100 for Excel for my job just because it helps me that much. But that's what we've got to do now. I think we've got to look at the human part of our jobs. It's, we've, we've waited far too long to just let human resource mop it all up at the end. And poor old human resource, that's why they're so stressed most of the time. Oh, yeah. It's not a nice job. You then have, as you right, said, Lisa, you then have a load of people who have become managers because they're technically good at what they do. This happens massively in law, massively in tech, massively in lots of, without being rude about it, male-dominated mm -hmm. environments. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, it's, it might sound sexist. It's not. It's just data-driven. That's the case of the case. Yeah. And they shouldn't be, by the way. That's why we need more women in tech. We need more women in STEM and more women in law. But again, leave a revolution on that one. Just have quotas, people. Just have quotas. Anyway, not allowed to say that, are we? So, so, so. <laughs> Very simple process, just have quite just easy. And um, anyway, it's fine. Anyway, sorry. So you, you have this thing where people kind of went up to the top, but don't have any kind of man, but they shouldn't have management skills because they were never, you, they're not innate. Some people are very lucky that they might be innate because they're innately caring and maybe that's good. But management and leadership are different things. And not most people might going to be able to stand at the top and shout about a PowerPoint thing, but that isn't getting your, the most out of your team. Yeah? It's just saying, well done, everyone, you've done well. Now, one of the key ones that people, that, I'm not going to say that blokes don't do, but certain managers don't do is recognition. Yeah, mm. weird one for, for people in the UK, especially because it's actually we are the we want recognition the more than anybody else in Europe, and in actually in the world. Now again, I don't know why it is, and I haven't looked into it. You must probably write a book about it, but that's just the data point. Mm. But we we don't get any recognition, which is why we want it the most. But recognition is really easy because it's just saying well done for a job well done and backing it up with some data. Now your flock will be able to say, oh. This person's driven by recognition as well. So if that person's driven by recognition and you're not giving them any, on top of the fact that we know from the data, just Google it, Britain wants more recognition and stuff. That's why we're, that's why we're leaving. Because our bosses, we've gone through this whole traumatic experience and most bosses aren't just going, oh, hey, have a week off. Well done. You've been great. Thank you for all your hard work. Awesome. What they might do is say, here's some more money. And then we're going to go, that money's already gone because guess what? The cost of living has just gone up. So it just evaporates, yeah? And no one cares about it because no one really cares about the money side of it, yeah? So then you have this issue, which you could have done things like, okay, you can build new offices because you want to impress people. It doesn't work because people don't come back to them, yeah? You can give them more money or to give them decent computers for their home life. By the way, you should have already. 
know, if you haven't given them a nice chair and a standing desk, you, you're a bad boss, just full stop. And it actually should be illegal, but that's a different point, either. You could give them a bit more money so they can extend their houses and homes and buy a new car, but it's frivolous. And we all know that you don't care about it 30 seconds later. We know this, right? There's loads of other stuff you can do, but then there's the deeper thing that you can do, because all those things cost money. The deeper thing you can do is just become a better person. You know, so you know, you're doing the opposite of what I've just done there. I haven't listened to you. I haven't asked questions. I haven't given recognition. I haven't done all these things because we're on a podcast and, you know, I don't employ you. But if I did employ you, my job would be not to make sure that I didn't do what I just did then because it's a want of, but I'm just broadcasting information. But also, if I was asking you more questions and giving you more recognition and giving you a career path and making you have hope for the future and getting rid of your uncertainty and your pain, you're going to frigging stay at the company. Mm. But if I gave you on top of that autonomy, mastery and purpose, you'd most probably like working there. And then on top of that, I gave you some friends that you could meet occasionally, maybe at an office. And then maybe after that, we'd go for dinner, maybe and have a nice party and I don't know, go to, I don't know, go to Malaysia or something for a two week retreat. You'd most probably stay with that company quite a long time. You might even tell the one going to Malaysia. <laughs> I would join the one going to Malaysia. <laughs> we could do all of it. We could do all of it together. <laughs> Buffer do, Buffer do this. Instead of having a Buffer a tech company, instead of having an office, they take people, everyone goes on this company retreat and every three months they go, on, they go to a different place around the globe. Nice. Yeah. Surprisingly enough, they don't find it hard to recruit some of the best tech talent in the world. There might be a reason. It's not just the holidays. It's because it's a nice place to work. Plus, exactly. you get to travel around the world and meet people as digital nomads and meet everyone together and, and get to know them. Because there is a thing in life, and this is the bit that you know, it's going to be fascinating for me working in tech. And this is the bit which tech can sometimes make you believe doesn't exist. Human beings need to be near each other and touch each other, and that's an HR issue, but you know, and hold hands and eat together. That's what company, you know, that's the thing. If mm -hmm. we don't eat together with people and don't know them, don't breathe their own air and don't get to know them and have eye contact, all these things, that's why people are leaving because human beings need that connection. Social connection, yeah, yeah. If we didn't, we'd be just robots and it'd be easy. Now, the reason why productivity went up instead of down in the pandemic is not a good thing. It's because everyone shit themselves and they had nothing else to do. And then the bosses have come back and gone, oh, great. We've saved money not having an office space. Everyone works from home. Awesome. Um, we can give them a bit more cash back because, you know, we've got a bit more cash in the bank. But we're wondering why people have got burnout. We've just gone through a traumatic warlike experience. Yeah. And if you don't realise that as a boss and you're empathetic, I mean, I'm not empathetic, but even I know <laughs> that it was a bit time. Yeah. And people, you should be nicer now to people. Right. But just giving them money is not going to work. Now, don't get me wrong. Your flock is just one part of getting that data point back. Yes, it is. But there's loads of other things you can do. But make sure it's based on employee feedback driven by values. Don't just give them money. You know, like the worst partners in the world. Hello, darling. You've had a terrible time at work. Yes, I have. Here's 50 quid. Now, shut up and, you know, go buy yourself something nice. Those people, <laughs> you know, <laughs> divorces are caused by that kind of nonsense. And I, and I also think that actually with the, with the feedback, I think some, some fears that I hear um, shared are around, if we ask for feedback, all we're gonna hear about is all the crap, it's all the stuff that's not going well, and I'm just gonna, I'm gonna sink under all that. But I like the fact that one of the um, questions that I saw on your vlog was asking something along the lines of, um, you know, what's, what's, what's gone well this week or what's been a success this week or something like that. And someone had shared about a success of, for someone else. Yes. And then, of course, that then gets flagged up for the manager who can then say, well, I didn't realise that because obviously managers cannot possibly know every single achievement success that's gone on. It'd be nice if they could, but the reality is not. Um, so actually, they know that they can go and make a point of feeding that back and recognising that. So actually, it's, it's really on building on that positive feedback loop. Not just, it's not just about hearing what's not great and what I need to do more of or better or differently. Well, absolutely, because then that creates, it does the opposite. And this is why, this is why when you create your own surveys, do our own stuff, we've got to be really careful mm. of the wording that we use. I mean, we're very lucky because we, we created it with a load of learning development and psychologists. So, and also it's got a bit of machine learning in the background. So it changes stuff and it's, it's cool. And it's a piece of technology, so it's cool and funky. But, um, but, but the thing is, if you did it just by yourself, yeah, all you're going to get is the negative feedback. And then you're going to go, now that, that then depends on what kind of person you are. So either you get the negative feedback and you go, oh, my God, the world's terrible. I'm going to leave this job. And you might be the boss and say, oh, I'm going to fire everyone. No one likes me. I'm going to fire everyone, right? Or you look at it all and go, oh, my God, what will I do to make this better? So if we're a one out of ten, what do we do? Now, it's really interesting to talk about the, the negative side of it because lots of people don't buy your flock based on the fact they know their feedback's going to be bad. 
Yeah, so it's a bit, it's like the, the classic smelly friends test. You know, if you don't know who the smelly friend is, it's you, yeah? Now, a lot of people know in their industry they have a terrible company culture. And so they sit there and go, well, we're not going to do your flop because it will show us how bad it is. And just imagine how odd that way of looking at life is. Yeah. You know, like, talk about like not having a growth mindset, but just having literally a fixed mindset of it's terrible, but we don't want to know how terrible, because if we do, we'll definitely know it's bad. I mean, you can just pretend that bad that bad's not there. If we don't talk about it, we can just carry on our day job and just ignore it. Yeah, we'll just ignore it. And then we'll just blame the industry. Then we'll say, well, everyone's like that in the industry. You know, it's been like, you know, well, how's, how's, you know, how's your life going? Well, I continually get punched in, my, you know, punched in my face by my brother, but all brothers are like that, so it's fine. Now, you know, that's a terrible toxic family dynamic. And But the same thing now happens in companies. But the thing about families is you can't leave, but the mm. companies you can. You know, and so a great red flag I always think is if someone says, you know, we're like a family here, you're like, well, that's a red, that's a toxic red flag. Thanks very much. I don't even need to go to the interview uh, because, you know, you shouldn't be like family. What you should be like is a team where people want to work with each other, want to be with each other and want to progress in their lives and become better people, not make the company better. But your company should make them better by being in the company. Yeah, and when they leave, you should be so proud of like they do. You should literally be, and I love it when I see this on LinkedIn. And companies are like this person left, it's awesome. They're now doing this. That is great because that's what you want. Because when people leave, they're going to tell people how they left, and that's your employee brand. Now, if you're a big company, not if you're someone like the NHS because they're too big, they're, they're just massive. Not the fact the NHS is too big, but it almost doesn't count for the NHS. But other companies, and you know, even for some banks, they're too big because their brand is too big. But for like, if you've got five hundred, a thousand people in your company. Your employee brand's massively important, you know, and it's not the stuff, it's, you know, your brand is what people say about you when you're outside the room. It's not what people are going to tell you whilst you're doing it. It might be you can look at your glass door and say, oh, well, we've got a great glass door of you. It's all the dark web stuff, that, obviously not on the dark web, but we call it dark and social. If it's on dark web, you have to really worry. Uh, <laughs> that'd be fascinating. <laughs> not just talking about the bottle. But you know, it's the other stuff that talk about in LinkedIn. It's the other things that people talk about, moaning about things and whatever. But I think that's one of the things about human life, and you'll know this more as a, as a psychologist and a very good business psychologist. See, recognition, anything. Ah, that's no problem. <laughs> it's clunky, proving that I'm not very good at it. There you go, it's clunky. Um, but the point is also very true. Um, you know, you, you've, you've got the understanding that these psychological drivers are massively important to us. And as people leave, they're going to talk about it a lot more if they have a negative experience. Now, this is one of the things about human life is that getting that negative feedback might hurt. OK, I get it. And, you know, but as long as we reframe it in a positive way, then it's going to be better for you. So you say your flock doesn't go on really go on the negatives, but you might get. You know, someone might say, how am I feeling? Has the company done enough caring stuff recently? They might say no. Well, awesome. Just do more caring yeah. stuff. Yeah, <laughs> that's the point of feedback. Now, you don't get that in often in or always in in a kind of modern kind yeah. of, in your other relationships. So in your family, you might not have a data point that you can look at for your family relationships. You might not have it in your partners because all those two, they're too close to other human emotions. You really want it at work because at work, you've got to become more productive. So what would be Sorry. your two or three top tips that you'd want leaders or people who are listening to this, who can influence what's going on in their, in their organization for them to be taking away from this, listen to this episode and thinking, right, I'm gonna go and do this differently. Okay, cool. So first thing, if they haven't already, listen to every employee in their company. Yeah, doesn't make a difference if the person's the janitor all the way up to the CEO. Please, 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 Number two, I'm going to put that as number two. Do not weight the opinion based on their seniority, which is a huge temptation. Well, if they, therefore, that should be times four. We get asked this in your flock so many mm -hmm. times. Well, I'm the CEO, therefore, surely 80% of what I'm doing is the values of the company. No. Well, no, it is in your mind, and that's the problem, yeah? Now, the other one is, you know, have a look at your brand values, these so-called brand values, yeah, and then use something to work out what the real values are of the company yeah so then you've got a benchmark mm -hmm. use something that isn't talking about you know you can talk to your employees and say and they go oh yes uh, integrity is key uh cool cool 55 percent of fortune 500 companies say that into you have integrity as one of their brand values you kind of hope we've moved past that because integrity is just we're not going to steal your money yeah now in late stage capitalism trying to take it as a given you, you know as a bank you're not going to rip us off of course mm -hmm. you are doing by the way so then you've got to look at who's living the values because it's behaviors 
the, the driving moment. That's a, your thought doesn't work on behavior. It doesn't work on psychological safety. It doesn't work on all these other stuff because that's the human part of it. Yes. We're not abrogating responsibility for, for a manager or a leader. What we're saying is we can give you a data point. So then you've got to act on. So Pretty the third sure, yeah. one is that make sure you have absolute ownership of this and learn more stuff. Because if you're still thinking, oh, I'm not sure about psychological safety. I'm not sure about behavioral understandings. I'm not sure about psychology. Okay, get people in, like Lisa, like other people, to come and train you in it, because that's leadership. It's servant leadership now. And I know you can point to and say, no, those people are there are mean and nasty and they've made billions. I don't know if they're going to be here in 10 years' time. Mm. Big companies, by the way, also don't know they're going to be here in 10 years' time, which is why people like Google do so much work on this stuff. And you can just Google the irony. You can double Google. You can Google Google and what they've done to make the world a better place and make their teams better doesn't mean it works for you they're a tech company but for goodness sake if you're still at that base level of like why is this stuff happening to me a it's not happening to you yeah you know we don't have to we get to you get to be a better person you get to have better teams you get to make sure the world's a better place and helps the world become better if you don't want to cool leave your job let someone else do it give someone else a go by the way i'd most probably say that person might want to be a woman just throw it out there might well be might be loads of other people that would love your job so maybe give them that and you can retire early if you're rich enough <laughs> that was so mean that last bit was so mean sorry i didn't mean that last bit that was just mean my, 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 my point really was you know control your own destiny in your own life but also realize that growth is all part of your potential as well you know but if you are literally sitting there listening to this thinking i just can't be bothered to do all that that's okay don't yeah Exactly, exactly. There's, there are too many people who want to engage with this stuff to support and leave the others to the side. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just do some ally, you know, be an ally for people and bring other people through the thing, bring, yeah. bring them through the ranks. Find, and that's, find. That, it, that is such good advice, like such good advice. And I would and I'd, I'd put a fourth point um, to add to your three, which is to go and check out your flock. Um, I, I, I should point out that I didn't get any commission from this, uh, but I just think it's a really good it's a very sound platform it's a very sound um piece of tech that really adds value to what a lot of companies are trying to grapple with right now and they've got these challenges and they're trying to work what they should be doing and actually i think this really adds value to to be able to you know resolve some of these issues and move on and plan and so on so thank you i think that's really worthwhile um finally uh before i let you go normally my guests provide a blind question to ask the next next guest my last guest has been so incredibly busy this last week that his creative juices haven't had time to flow and come up with anything so i'm going to ask you a blind question which has nothing to do with what we've been talking about if you could be a fly on the wall in mm -hmm. any organization in the world now yeah. where would you be and why i would be in uh, the tory prime minister uh, boris johnson's uh, house or other places as the whole hopefully house of cards topples as people continually resign and i'd love to know what he's like as a person because i think he's most probably a psychopath and has no concept that anything bad's happening and but i would really hope that he does get it but he's just going right what's the thing i can do who could i get to this next place okay well i'm going to pull that junior minister from there and we'll put him in there and they'll become chancellor and you know carrie could you possibly do this and maybe someone else do this and he's just literally just one way around just trying to get all these people around him because really as you know as the, whatever the really posh guys call uh it's reese mogg he was like literally don't worry about it because we can employ other people to fill these roles which is absolutely right yeah but if, if 70 percent of your senior managers leave in a week it really should tell you something you should be you don't even need your flock to get that feedback. No, exactly. Yeah. They've given you, they've shown that, and don't get wrong, you know, they most probably have lied until this moment. And of course, they've all been your psychopathic kind of, you know, pets and whatever. And, you know, and that you might consider that they, they've stabbed you in the back, maybe. But you've got to be self-aware enough to go, oh, but the thing is, this is what I think. I think he, he does know, and he knows it's all a game, and he knows he's winning. And he's, his point is, I can't lose the game because all I'll do is employ other people. And then the British people will love me again. And they're because he was literally talking about a third term. Like you'd have to be a dictator to think this. So he must literally in his head must be like a dictator. Like I will be in power as long as Putin is. That's his plan. And if that's the, this is why being a fly on the wall, because I have a horrible feeling that's most probably his, you know, his playbook. So that's why he's got rid of the right to protest. That's why he's got rid of the strike stuff. 
all the stuff that you know proper dictators do in different countries and we would call them banana republic and we'd be panicking about it and we'd be thinking about maybe sending in troops he's done all this stuff and no one in britain's some kind of moan so i'd love to be a fly on the wall just to see how mad that place really is and i'm kind of hoping it's not as mad as i think it might be but it might I be knew. like adolf hitler's bunker I knew, Dan, when I was thinking about what to ask you, that that would get a really interesting response and you have delivered. Dan, you have been amazing today. Um, thank you so very much for joining me and for sharing so much of your wisdom and just talking about this stuff in a very frank way and making it very, I think, delivering a very clear message. That is, it doesn't all have to be very com complicated and um, expensive and it's like starting again from scratch is basically about being human thinking about where we are now what needs to change how do we know that and then just starting from there and have, starting with good conversations uh, whether it's with yourself me whoever's whoever's working with organizations in terms of I want to do something a bit different what can I do and just have just make that first step because then, then amazing things happen so if people want to contact you we'll put your notes um, your contact details in the show notes um, you. Do you have a preference for how people um, reach out? Um, yeah, uh, if you find, find me LinkedIn, that's the best thing to do. Just oh. Dan Sodrian, S-O-D-E-R-G-R-E-N, or more importantly, just find me at Your Flock. That's the best way to do it. So it simply could be Dan. I'm old school, so I don't mind an email. So Dan at yourflock.co.uk. And just uh, have a look at www.yourflock.co.uk uh, for, for a bit more information about what we do. And uh, just huge thanks, Lisa, for, uh, for having me on and, uh, and being so lovely and about, and about our products as well. We're, we're, I do, I'm one of those people that loves recognition and I love feedback. So I'm, I'm really happy that you like it too, because um, you know, psychologists and business psychologists and HR consultants, they all really like it. And that kind of proves we're in the, we're in the right spot. Mm -hmm. So thank you for that. Uh, it might just be called confirmation bias. We might just... <laughs> <laughs> Let's not unpick that. No, Thank enough. you very much, Dan. Take care. Have a good rest of your day. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for joining me today on Beyond the Water Cooler. If you love it, I would really appreciate a five-star review as this helps more people to find the podcast. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe so you get notifications every time we publish a new episode. If something in this episode has got you chomping at the bit or if you'd like to discuss the topics covered in this podcast further, please do get in touch and we can continue the conversation. You can find me at lisa at itstimeforchange.co.uk. My details are in the show notes. If you'd like to be kept in the loop on what I'm getting up to, I publish a monthly roundup. To sign up, head over to itstimeforchange.co.uk forward slash join the club. I'm always looking for new, interesting people to chat with on the Beyond the Water Cooler podcast. So if you have a story to tell or know of anyone who would be an inspiration to talk to, please do get in touch. And lastly, I'd love to know what you would like to hear about on the podcast. So drop me a line for all suggestions. And that way I can make sure that what I'm talking about is most helpful. See you next time.